0: Welcome to Part of
1: Politics. I'm Jerónimo Cortina, political scientist and associate director at the Center for Mexican-American Studies at the University of Houston.
0: And I'm Brandon Roddinghouse, a political science professor from the University of Houston. Thanks for hanging out with us uh, on a big week in uh, American politics and in Texas politics. A lot going on, Jerónimo, but I guess I should admit off the top that i didn't really prepare for the week i didn't think that was something that you had to do really even if you're defending the president you just kind of show up and start talking yeah. about you know cultural norms and institutions and, in a yellow you
1: know. notepad just wing it and start talking man. nothing on the notepad right <laughs> I, mean, I don't know it's it's like just doodles like, of like garfield <laughs> i mean someone told him hey uh, mr caster you have about an hour
0: So you have to fill up the time and say, ah, sure, no problem. I got it. Like it's, it's like, it's like night at the comedy store. Just wing it. You know what I mean? We're going to let you just talk like Dave Chappelle. Yeah, but style. even stand-up comedians prepare something. Right? You have a bit. You have a point, right? Yeah, well, we are, anyway. of course, talking about uh, one of the president's lawyers this week was kind of pilloried for being a little rambly in his defense of the president. That's obviously the big news for the week. But there's lots of stuff that's going on this week, right? Including Senator uh, Shelby from Alabama has announced his retirement. So what do you make of this? He's 86 years old. He's the fourth most senior member of the chamber. He came into power in the 80s when Tom Daschle and Harry Reid came in. He came in as a Democrat, by the way, and then switched parties. What does this mean for the state of Alabama and also sort of the scope of the Senate?
1: Well, one of the most important things is that he's joining Pat Toomey, Richard Mm. Burr, and Rob Portman, right? So you have four Republicans now that are not going to seek re-election yeah so that opens the floodgates whether alabama is a safe seat for democrats uh the answer is no uh <laughs> but anything can happen right, right. anything could happen You'd have uh, Pat in Pennsylvania, Rich in, in North Carolina, and Rob Portman in Ohio. I mean, those places seem to be more in play than uh, yeah. Alabama per se. But
0: again, if that is the case, that changes things dramatically a year from now. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is that basically him retiring is a signal that, like, retiring is OK or that the Republicans are jumping ship. Chuck Grassley is... Also 86 years old, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin has been thinking about retiring. So this could be a kind of cascade, which would make it way harder for the Republicans to keep the Senate in 2022. And really, that's the kind of battleground. I mean, in the House, the Republicans are about six seats away from winning. So that's within striking distance. But the Senate really has to be kept by Democrats or things are going to be way worse. So this is an interesting moment for them to have to defend. But here's another sort of something to grow on. 54% of Senate Republicans are over 65. And in the House, it's like 24%. So there is a real kind of sea change in terms of the ideology and the politics of the Republican Party that could happen in the Senate because you're going to have a new crop of really aggressive, much more conservative, probably Trump supporters that are going to run for this seat and likely one of them's going to win in Alabama. So you're seeing a real change in the kind of ideology and the tone of the Republican Party as a result of a lot of these members retiring, including Shelby. So that's to watch because I think that's going to really reshape American politics as much as anything else. Right.
1: Uh, And the other question is, would the more moderate Republicans Will also jump into the circus, right? Mm-hmm. And throw their hat into the circle and say, okay, now, you know, it's our chance to retake the Republican Party. That's another possibility. It's going to be extremely, extremely interesting. And as you say, it has very important repercussions for the Biden
0: administration going forward. Yeah. Well, some sad news out of Texas this week. Unfortunately, US Representative Ron Wright has died following a COVID. 19 diagnosis. He was 67 years old. His immune system had been weakened as a result of uh, longstanding cancer. Ron Wright uh, was one of the kind of vanguards of local officials who were leading the charge against property tax uh, increases and appraisal issues. So he really is kind of at the epicenter of a lot of what the Republican Party in Texas has been doing. So this is sad news, obviously. And you know, politically speaking, of course, they'll have to have a special election to replace him. But this is obviously the first member who, has died of COVID-19 in the whole pandemic.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, along with other 400,000 Americans that have perished uh, due to the pandemic, Mm -hmm. just highlights that this virus touches anyone. And uh, you don't know how your body is going to react to the virus. So, you know, it's it's just uh, very sad that he passed away. He was also one of the members of Congress that always wore a bow tie. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, he kept it in style, right? I like that. I like that. So, you should, you so, should adopt that. I think that's going to yeah, no, think it was. I think it was very cool. I like it. So we're going to have a special election for the 6th uh, Congressional District in Texas. That's uh, Navarro, Ellis, and parts of Tarrant County. Mm-hmm. Usually, the last times he won the vote with 53% of the vote, the election, I'm sorry, with 53% mm-hmm. of the vote, Democrats That's where tailing back, you know, 44, 45%. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting race. I don't think that it's going to be super competitive to that extent. We had some uh, Republican challengers in the primary that came very close to win the nomination so we have between 30 and 50 days right for the governor to call the special election
0: yeah and like we said earlier you know every seat counts for both parties and you know republicans want to hold it democrats want to take it I think you're going to see a lot of money poured into it. It's a weird district, like you say. It runs from kind of Fort Worth area, basically down south, and kind of hooks around to sort of the rural parts of Dallas and in the outlying areas. So it's an unusual district. It's not necessarily a Democratic district, but it's one a Democrat could compete in. Like you say, it wasn't mm. a blowout. So it's unclear what that'll look like. But both parties are going to pour some money into it, especially if they can get a good candidate. So right. we'll, we'll we'll keep an eye on that as, as things. It's going to be a gamble, mm-hmm. uh, of course, just like everything's. Gamble, but if you wanted to have legalized betting here in Texas, I wouldn't bet on it just yet, Geronimo. Right this week, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has said that he is not in favor of sports betting or casino legislation this session, he says it's not even going to see the light of day he says he's never been in favor of it. And even though, you know, it's been much speculated, it's not clear that the members are really going to be there to support it. So what do you think about this? This comes on the heels, of course, of, you know, a budget hole, which has to be filled. But it also comes on the kind of aftermath of millions and millions of dollars being spent from lobbyists to try to move the needle on gambling in Texas. So what's going to happen? Are we going to be able to bet on the dogs or, you know, go to the ponies and put some money down? What's going to go on there?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I mean, not at least in this, uh, in this session. And this is in contrast with what other states are doing, mm. right? Other states are legalizing gambling from left to right. Why? Because it's a very, very good source of income revenue yeah. for the state. So when you look at it from a public policy perspective, without putting any let's say, ethical or moral (laughs) attachments or whatever you want to put into gambling, I think that it makes sense. Why? Because, you know, the state needs to diversify a steady source of income. And gambling is a steady source of income. Yeah, You cannot put all your eggs into oil and gas because we know what happens with that. Yeah. And obviously, we're going to go into an energy transition that can have some fluctuations into how the state reacts and how the state operates on an economic platform. So I think it makes sense. I think that we need to discuss it, whether we support it or not on, on whatever grounds, but economically it kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does provide some stability. Um, The other part of that though is that as opponents say that it also brings in extra problems. So potentially there's a criminal element that would come along with it. So that can create unintended consequences and unintended funds that would have to be spent to remedy that. So lots of questions, but your support of this is not alone. There are uh, apparently a lot of Texans who agree with this. So if you look at two years ago, polling suggested that only about 40% of people approved of legalized sports betting. Now, polling that was done, admittedly, by the Sheldon Adelson's company, mm. <laughs> the Las Vegas Sands, mm. so they have an obvious horse in this race, as we would say, um, mm. 60%, no of pun intended. The, <laughs> 60% of the people uh, in this poll support legalized casino-style gaming in up to five locations. And here's what's interesting, 90% of people want Texans to be able to decide for themselves, that is to put it to the constitutional referendum. So. This This is obviously something that's not likely to happen right now. Dan Patrick has been lobbied for a long time on this, especially from Native American casinos. Every session for at least the past two sessions, there have been amendments filed to try to let the voters choose on very much that issue about the sort of specific number of gaming licenses. So Dade Phelan has said that he's not against it personally. Remember, he's from Beaumont, which is basically like a chip's throw to Louisiana Mm -hmm. where you can gamble there. And so, you know, there are members who aren't against it, but it's not clear at this point that there's a lot of support for it so we'll, we'll we'll track that and see if that makes any difference moving forward and like we know it can take several sessions for something to pass. Yeah, um, absolutely. But sometimes you have an issue that's so hot-buttoned that we have to just break out in song about it. So we want to make sure we really tackle those issues as the critical ones for the state, right? Well, yes, of
1: course. And that is the Star Spangled Banner Protection Act. And basically, this comes from uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick announced on Wednesday that in any event or public event or a sports event that receives public funding, the national anthem has to be played. Right, And this came because Mark Cuban decided to stop playing the national anthem before home games uh, this season. And and his team is going to resume playing the anthem before games, the NBA confirmed also this week. But it's once again, Mark Cuban is inserting himself into the political (laughs) (laughs) drama of the state. If it's not with uh, Senator Cruz now, it seems that it's going to be against Lieutenant Governor Patrick.
0: I mean, I want to get your thoughts on this because I think Mark Cuban is itching for a fight. I think he wants to take on one of these statewide officials. So I want to put a pin in that for a second and talk about Dan Patrick and his, you know, continuing culture war, which is frankly a winnable proposition for him. And it's been so for a long time. This is Senate Bill 4. This means that this is a top Senate priority. Is it really a top Senate priority, I guess, is the question, right? We don't know because we haven't seen the legislation yet, but likely it's the case that this means that there is a what they call a major events trust fund, which reimburses communities for the local cost of providing for like police services and facilities upgrades right. and plans and stuff. So it's probably what they're talking about. So clearly there's a financial connection to Texas for this, but it's obviously a political play. But it's like marshmallow fluff on the Sunday for these Republicans, right? So they've come out in support of Dan Patrick. You had Drew Springer, who is new to the Senate, saying that he wants to reorganize a loophole in the business tax paid by professional sports organizations. Basically, the bill would end the Texas sports team's owner's ability to deduct pro athletes massive salaries Mm. Uh, at this point they can only don't uh, for other businesses It's three hundred thousand dollars and as you can imagine most NBA players make a little bit more than three hundred thousand dollars Dustin Burroughs came out and said that like these big facilities are subsidized by taxpayers so they do what they could to restrain the ability for tax opportunities to go to these kinds of things so I'm not sure it's a legislative priority, but it happened so fast, right? Because literally, like Wednesday, Mark Cuban announces this. Within 12 hours, Dan Patrick says, here's the Star-Spangled Banner Protection Act. Obviously, he was not thinking about this before. There's no way. It wasn't even on anybody's radar, right? And then, like you said, the NBA says, we're doing this. This is league policy. Cuban walks it back. But Dan Patrick's still in the fight, right? Uh,
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, the question here, once again, from, a, you know, sports team and sports franchises can vote with their feet, right? You know, remember the Houston Oilers, they became the Tennessee Titans, right? right. Exactly. They just left. Yep. And franchise owners, whether they're Democrat or Republican, they are business people, mm-hmm. right? So they're going to go to a place where they can make more money and a place that is going to give them more goodies or stuff and wrap candy and whatever, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so the question is, you know, if you alienate these sport franchise owners to the top, right? They might go to North Dakota right. and be the North Dakota Mavericks, and <laughs> right.
0: North Dakota would be perfect. I think it would fit. I'm not sure that there are enough people to sustain. Well, I, I have was you been to American so. Airlines Arena? That place is massive, right? And, and right. I'm sure North Dakota wouldn't give you a bigger tax break than Texas would. But yeah, you're exactly right that these kind of things happen, and we still have not forgiven the Oilers for leaving town. But that's right. a business decision. And sometimes business and sports conflict. Um, but sometimes Absolutely. politics and nation-building conflict. Because, okay, so on one hand, Dan Patrick is saying we have to sing the national anthem by state law at these... Different right. events, but part of have, the union, right? But then you have Alan West, the chair of the Republican Party, saying that Texans <laughs> should be given an opportunity to secede from the United States. Uh, oh, we've talked God. before about Kyle, Representative Kyle Bierman's bill to create a referendum exploring secession. Alan West says he backs this. Now, just keep this in mind that as a chair of the Republican Party, he's supposed to not only facilitate the winning of Republicans down ballot, but also raise money and keep the organization alive, but also protect the platform, right? That that's the goal. But right. in the platform for the Republican Party, they oppose referenda, number one. And number two, they only support secession under very narrow conditions. So here you have the chairman of the party not only agreeing that like we should have possibly secession, but also taking a unilateral approach to saying that without any kind of deliberation from the rest of the Senate Republican Executive Committee, that we should have this completely yeah. out yeah. <laughs> of the yeah. left field referendum. So what yeah. do you make of all this?
1: I, I don't get it. I mean, <laughs> first of all, it's, it's illegal. You cannot do it. Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, to, mean at its base. <laughs> right.
0: You cannot do it. <laughs> And,
1: and it's just, once again, it's this political move, right? right? It's taking advantage of the things. The problem is that these things, even though they are, you know, you cannot do it, it's illegal, people believe it and people yeah. think that it's you know, your right. No, it's not your right. Yeah. I mean, it's not a right. right. It shouldn't even be discussing it. Yeah. And then people feel that the rights have been taken away because they cannot secede. Is
0: right. not what? No, I know. I, I, it's at impossible. its core, I mean, I, I I don't think people really want to do it. I think they just want to send messages. I think that people are really frustrated by politics. They're frustrated by the economy and COVID and the lockdowns and everything. It's just there's a lot of this brewing, and I think some of this is being channeled through these really untenable political themes practically speaking there's just no way this would ever work right like we pay into social security you can say goodbye to that we're gonna have to create an army and a navy because we have a coast that's a lot of money right uh, in fact we know that from building the iraqi army it was billions of dollars and that means you have to do it without federal assistance by the way a third right. of our budget is from the federal government so I don't know. I mean, if this all happens, like, are we going to get to keep Big Bend? Like, <laughs> all of the most beautiful parts of Texas right. are going to be back in federal control. Yeah. So, yeah, confusing and concerning, but yeah. not going to go anywhere. I don't think. Yeah, I, I need some distraction, right, mm-hmm. from from the real issues. Well, speaking of real issues, yeah, I mean the the Texas budget is still being much debated. This week, the attorney general has taken some heat from the Senate Finance Committee, who are skeptical about a lot of things he's doing, including legal settlements he's endorsed and money that they're spending on outside attorneys to sue Google. He has requested more money than the budget has at this point written to allow. He effectively is going to take about a $90 million pay cut for the Office of the Attorney General and have about 154 fewer positions. What do you think is going to happen here?
1: Oh, I think that they're going to cut his pocket. I mean, absolutely. He's going to take a haircut on that, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's because the way that the attorney general's office has been conducted business for the past years. And you have budget hawks like Senator Betancourt Mm -hmm. that is completely opposed. And kudos to him because he's not taking a partisan stance right here. And he's looking at the numbers and saying, like,
0: I don't get it. Yeah. This is how the legislature gets you. They are hawks on money, both parties, and they're not going to put up with it, and they're not here either. Nope, nope. And, you know, it's like
1: you have, I don't know how many lawyers. Why on earth do you (laughs) need to hire outside (laughs) counsel for your antitrust suit against Google? Yeah.
0: So it's like, uh, explain it to me. I just don't get it. So the attorney general, yeah, did try to explain it. What he said basically was that this is complex litigation. We need people who are like really experienced at it. It's still a lot of money, and the ledge is not really having it. But that's not the only thing, right? There's also money for raises that, like forty million dollars for raises that the attorney general has distributed. That the senator Nelson, who's also a budget hawk and the chair of the committee, said it makes her unhappy to see them distributed in this weird way. In other kinds of monies, like sexual assault programs and victim assistance grants, all have to go through the regular, regular like budgeting right. process. This, I think, we are seeing a kind of public lancing of. Ken Paxton. We are basically witnessing a real-time unraveling of Ken Paxton and the Republican abandoning of his political career. So we'll see how this kind of shakes out, but I think you're right. Budget-wise, he's in big trouble. But this week, we also saw a lot of movement on committees themselves. The House released a bunch of new committees, and there were some serious surprises here. So walk us through what you thought was really interesting about the new House committees. Well, I think
1: it's uh, reshuffling. Uh, you have a mixture of new blood and seniority in these committees. Uh, you have people that have been going up into the echelons of powers within the state legislature. For example, you have uh, Representative Armando Wally going for the fourth consecutive time as a speaker designated to be part of the Appropriations Committee. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of, of uh, interesting movements. You have Dave Felon just signaling how or who are going to be his top lieutenants during this first session. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I think on that point, it, the clear message was that this is Phelan's house now, that we're moving on from Speaker Strauss, then moving on from Speaker and. Here's how I know this. So Dustin Burroughs, who was in the meeting with former Speaker Dennis Bonin and called out a bunch of members is now the head of the calendars committee, which is the most important sort of traffic keeping mm-hmm. committee. So this is the poop in the picnic basket for a lot of members who saw Burroughs as a traitor. So that alone suggests that Phelan frankly does not care about what the members think is exactly. So right. that's a real issue that he's going to have to work through. He also put some people in key positions, like you say, I think that are going to be really important. He put Chris Patty from Marshall as the head of state affairs. That's really the kind of most workhorse committee. So that's where I think a lot of the action is going to be. Morgan Meyer, who is a vulnerable member from Dallas, is the head of Ways and Means. That's not uncommon to put somebody who's, you know, needs to bring home the bacon uh, on a committee that does exactly that. So that's interesting. Let's also watch the Judiciary and Civil Jurisprudence Committee. That's going to be where you see a lot of criminal justice reform. Jeff Leach has been a big proponent of that. Yvonne Davis is the co-chair. Joe Moody's on that committee. So this is going to be, I think, a committee where you're going to see a lot of movement. But I'm actually curious about this, too. You've got a Really kind of a maturation of the Freedom Caucus. Two members of the Freedom Caucus got committee chairs, which is really rare. One is Briscoe Cain, who is the head of elections, has been pretty vocal about needing to kind of restrict right. what can be done. He went to Philadelphia to defend the president's legal status uh, during the election dressed like the urban cowboy. <laughs> but to me, it definitely shows that he and the Freedom Caucus are willing to work within the system now, whereas in the past, maybe they haven't. So that was really interesting.
1: Well, I think it's a, it's a good political strategy, yeah. right? Rend them in, yeah. and within these committees, mm. you have a lot of rules. That's right, and therefore you cannot do whatever you want. You have to follow the rules, and as chairman of this committee, you have to follow the rules. And I think it's a it's a way of bringing them in and bring them in and say, so now you have to align yeah. yourself. You cannot be running crazy with anything like that.
0: And think about this, nine Democrats got house chair positions, but none of the X-Men did. None of the people who were talked about in the Bonin, Dennis Burroughs, uh, Michael Quinn Sullivan tape. So interesting movement away yeah, from the absolutely. kind of core of the moderates of the Republican Party. So right. we'll watch that. But the big news of the week, of course, is impeachment, Geronimo. I think, like, what, what year is it, right? Now we're all impeachment experts but the country remains extremely divided. What's your take on the impeachment hearings uh, and and where we're going to go from here? Well, I mean, the first vote was to
1: decide whether the impeachment trial was constitutional or not. Mm. We saw it basically on partisan lines. 44 Republicans voted against moving forward because they argued that it was unconstitutional. Uh Democrats picked all the caucus plus, I think, uh, six Republicans, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, shows a little bit of movement right there. But it signals that President Trump has the votes to get acquittal and it's going to be what's going to be. One of the things that has been very interesting in this impeachment 2.0 is that Democrats and the House managers are basically relying on the evidence and showing videos like yeah, crazy? Graphic
0: right? videos, right?
1: Very graphic, very graphic. And that puts Trump lawyers in a difficult mm, position mm-hmm. to say, well, this is First Amendment. And, you know, on the other hand, House Democrats, especially the managers, have highlighted both conservative and liberal scholars saying, no, wait a minute, this is not. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. (laughs) This is not First Amendment, right? Right.
0: This is an assignment to insurrection and whatnot. Right, and there is a carve-out for that in the First Amendment. So that's a big no-no. I think that what the Trump attorneys want to do when they're, like, doing it Well, (laughs) I I described it to a friend this week like that lawyer from Presidio who had the cat like on his um, Zoom, right? Couldn't get the filter off. Like that lawyer was doing a better job than Bruce Castor for a lot of this. But I think what they want to do is basically put into the record that they think this is unconstitutional. And they have the Senate Republicans at least backing that to say that the body lacks jurisdiction and that you can't effectively judge a former president on this. But there is precedent. Agreed. And I think that's probably fair to say that like it's a worthwhile proposition because you could just resign your office and then sort of not face, you'd be a former president, therefore not face that. Right. Um, but here's one thing is interesting. Chief Justice Roberts is not presiding. So that may actually increase the claim that the trial is unconstitutional. So that's an interesting dimension to this. But I want to talk about the likelihood of conviction, which I think you said is really low. I don't think it's really a question of whether or not there will be a conviction or not, but rather sort of who defects, because that's going to be, I think, really the kind of new spirit of the Republican Party, at least on that wing of the party, right? And we know this week that Bill Cassidy, who is a Louisiana Republican, uh, a former doctor, has been sort of willing to cross the party line, right? And he is somebody who's not really able to be patterned as a Trump supporter or Trump opponent right he's not like a Mitt Romney right and he's not a Josh Hawley he's sort of in the middle so it might be that that this is the kind of new independent voice. I mean, he's an outlier clearly in the party, but he's somebody that represents maybe a new way of going about things in the party in a way that, like, you know, Ted Cruz is not, John Cornyn is not. John Cornyn has been willing to see the evidence he says, but he also says that this impeachment is vindictive and that, like, this is a first Yeah, But but again,
1: that argument doesn't sit well, and and particularly because there has to be consequences. right? And this is, I think, very important because I think that the rule of law, right, whatever it is, Every time that you break it, every time that you do something wrong, there has to be consequences. And the message that you're going to be given is that whether you think it's constitutional or not or
0: whatever it is, there's going to be no consequences once again. Yeah mean, well, predictably, the efforts at Unity by Jeep and Bruce Springsteen didn't work. <laughs> the people are still <laughs> very divided about this. Now, polling suggests that a bare majority of Americans wanna see the president both convicted and unable to run for office again. But of course, nine in 10 Democrats back to conviction, what eight in 10 Republicans opposed conviction. So we're still divided regardless of what happens. Was Might. this exercise an effort to try to heal things? Because I think you're right that you have to follow the rule of law. There are institutional ramifications between the president and Congress and how this all shakes out. But are we talking about a moment where we need to go past it to heal, like a pardoning of Nixon, right? It's a hard swallow, but it has to be done for the greater good of the country, or is well, this just going to make it worse?
1: Whatever. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a pardon or or conviction or whatnot, but the consequence has to be there. And the other part is what's going to be part of the historical record, yeah. right? And this is going to be part of the historical It's a precedent,
0: record. right? Yeah, like you cannot act this way and not expect some retribution, right? And I think that's one right. thing the Democrats are are trying to make very clear. But they're doing so in a very visual way. And I think it's been compelling. Like even Republicans in the chamber who have said that this is really like hard to watch. And well, I mean, it, just the evidence that
1: was presented this week when these police officers comes running to Senator uh, Mitt Rodney, Yeah. And he says, like, no, dude, like, go go back. And then they said, you were away 58 steps from the muff. Fifty eight yeah. steps. I mean, that's powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Whether you agree or not or anything like that. And it shows now that the house managers really spend time doing yes. this
0: stuff over and over. They so, pick the right people to do it. And you exactly. Know, there was concern that maybe this wasn't the you know, the group that was up to the task like the first group was, but they've shown that they have hit a home run. Oh game. yeah, so they did their home. Run. Conviction or no, like they did a good job. So Yeah,
1: yeah. So we're going to continue, obviously, next week, (laughs) talking about this thing, for sure. But for this week, this is it. Party Politics is recording the George P. Performance Studio at
0: Houston Public Media. Thanks to our producer, Troy Schultz. Big thanks to our web and graphics team here at Houston Public Media. And as always, thanks to our audio engineer, Todd, the manager, Halslander. Remember, this show airs every Friday night at 10.30 p.m. on News
1: 88.7. You can also listen to this and all our podcast episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate it and review it. We would love to hear from all of you. I'm Jerónimo Cortina. And I'm Brandon Rottinghouse.
0: We'll see you next week.